So welcome people to the to the fifth, I think, episode it is of the Football Idealist podcast. Um, and today we're going to be talking all things Arsenal. Uh, it's a topic I've wanted to do for a while. And uh, since we have a lot of Arsenal fans on the website, uh, we really wanted to do it. And so uh, with me today, I have uh, Ami. Uh, hi there, my name's Ami. And uh, Moad. Hi, hi, my name's Moad. Oh, to use a Ramdo to Ian. Uh, yeah, by the way, it? yeah, by the way, uh, I'm Nick. Uh, my ad on Twitter is on Step 16. And we also have a special guest today with us, uh, George, uh, who's one of my favorite accounts on Twitter. So, George, introduce yourself. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Hi, I'm George, formerly Saliba Season on Twitter. Uh, excited for this. Cool, awesome, awesome. So, yeah, uh, so obviously today it is Tuesday, and uh, the day we're recording, and uh, in two days, just uh, it's probably Arsenal's game of the season. We say that every Europa League tie, but uh, this time it feels like it feels very important. And uh, obviously, we're playing Savia Praga uh, on uh, on Thursday. Uh, one uh, the first game ended one one. Uh, so uh, Slavia probably have an advantage there just on the away goals rule. And, uh, yeah. So George, what are you thinking ahead of the game? I'm very confident um, on the game. I think if you, if you look back, I, I did question some of the lineup selections, mainly in balance. I talk a lot about this kind of on Twitter, where when we look at a front line, I ideally love to see two runners and two creative players. And uh, I just didn't yeah. see that when I saw the lineup. So I thought we may struggle, um, especially with this mid block that a lot of the European teams seem to be doing. Uh, lately but I, I think ultimately no matter how you look at it the no matter how the play went our chances ultimately were in our favor so I think if you're looking at the probability of us scoring a goal it's probably pretty high and uh, that is actually an advantage for us going in uh, given the away rule so I, I can bet on us scoring and I can probably bet on us cashing in some of the xg I think we'll go through yeah yeah that's fair uh, how about you Amit? Mean- Yeah, so we played pretty awful considering the fact they had um, no first-choice goalkeeper. Kudela was out. I, I wasn't impressed. And as George said, the selection that, that gave me a few doubts if it was more than enough to go through. Um, and the mid-block was pretty standard. Um, but people were saying on Twitter, and you, may, you mentioned this to me, what's called NS. You said there were uh, people were saying, oh, there was some high attacking team, uh, they're pressing, etc. Blah blah blah. We yeah. didn't see any of that. Anything yeah, yeah, yeah. they got was given to us. So I think the only problem that we have going into Thursday is us capitulating because we had enough chances to kill the game off. We had, yeah, we kind of controlled the game from start to finish, but yeah, yeah. even then, you never really thought we were like going to win this by three or four. So I think, as George said, we should start two runners and two creators, but there was no balance. You had Willian, Saka, Smithrow, like I said, all people, all most players on in that front line was ball to feet players, none really making the balls, the run off the, <clears throat> off the ball. So yeah, what I'd like to see is more runners like Martinelli, Pepe, Aubameyang on Thursday and hopefully we can win. What? 
yeah, basically, I feel like what we saw against Slavia Praha wasn't something brand new. It was pretty similar like to the last two ties where even though we played pretty poorly, we were still able to create enough chances for us to call the game off. And we were able to prevent them from creating any other chances aside from the ones that we gave to them. But that seems to be a problem that I thought at some point would go away, but it doesn't seem like it's going away. So it seems much more of a mental issue than it seems like a technical issue. Obviously, we needed more like in-the-box attackers or more runners, as you guys were saying. Guys like Aubameyang and Martinelli probably would have helped us to code the game off in it. But we still have this habit of playing down to the level of our opponents and making it even game when really and truly we easily have the quality to call these guys off pretty quickly. I feel like the ne- in the next, like, probably the first 10, 15 minutes of the game is basically going to dictate how the, how the tie goes. If we're able to score early, then we should comfortably go through. But you never know with this team. I feel like there's some strange mental block going on that we can't seem to shake us at the moment, you know. Yeah, in Europe, that has really been the case, you know, uh, against Benfica and against Ali Bracos, it was more than tactical, it was psychological ties. And uh, we managed to get through narrowly on both uh, occasions. And uh, and it's probably going to be the same if we get through uh, on Thursday. It's probably going to be a narrow one. And, uh, you know, if we take chance, if we take our chances, I think we're probably going to be fine. Uh, I, other than counter-attack, I can... Is a depressive from Slavia uh, on the attacking side. So, and our problem was, uh, I think the main problem in the first game was Cedric at left back. Uh, the fact that he, he's a good player, but he's right footed and he really killed our build up. Uh, and the, obviously, the main example of that was uh, how the way we conceded that corner in the end, uh, uh, the, how Cedric could have just played forward, but because he was right footed, he played it back. So, I think if Xhaka starts and uh, provided he has the added protection by Martinelli, who against Sheffield at times he was dropping back to play like a left wing back, you know, it's his amazing work rate. And uh, I think similar lineup to Sunday and uh, possibly uh, Obama Young uh, in place of Lacazette and maybe Odegaard if he's fit in place of Pep. And uh, I think. Uh, uh, Combined. So obviously there has been a discussion around uh, Arsenal's league position, and uh, again, I'm not we're we're not going to talk too much about our Ted out or Ted in because I think all four of us are uh, are backers of Mikel at this point. Uh, but uh, I just want to say, uh, does I just want to ask uh, whether the league position this year does it mean anything in the grand scheme of things? And uh, should it be uh, something that's used against uh, Mikel in the future? Uh, so, for example, if next season we're not doing so hot, should we should we take into account this season's failures? Uh, you know, personally, I think you know you got to separate the seasons, and it's probably going to be a completely different team from the way it's looking and the way it's being reported. So, I don't know what are your thoughts on that, George. Well, I always argue kind of on Twitter that we are a hall with multiple holes. So you can plug one, we can find a solution and it might work in a specific game state, but we still have three or four other holes in the sink and the ship will sink really. Um, And that's due to our squad management. It's really horrible. And so it's really about managing expectations. This season, I never um, looked at league position as a barometer for success. I wanted a style of play that I identified with. I wanted some certain culture changes within the club and I look towards next season when 
particularly our midfield is, uh, is fixed. When you don't have a number 10 for over half the season, it makes it difficult to expect um, competition with other top six sides who have this balance. In fact, I'd even extend it to top 12 sides in EPL. You know, it, it, it's really uh, kind of shocking when you actually take a look at our squad and the profiles and what we lack. They're very fundamental pillars that most of these teams have. You can forget the quality argument, but at least have um, balance towards an 11 because otherwise you're searching for band-aid fixes. And so in terms of this season, I don't look at the league as something uh, to judge Arteta on. I do think with another transfer window, he has an opportunity to fix between the line presence and midfield. And so that carries with it higher expectations of uh, top four. Um, I, I really do think once you fix um, some of our, uh, our fullback issues as well, um, we just have too many holes to, uh, to expect us to be competitive and to accurately compare ourselves with where we want to be. So once we get those personnel secured, my expectations raise and uh, Mikel has to do the business after that. Uh, for me, when it came to how we did in the Premier League season, the first thing I really have to say is we're awesome FC. Like the way we've played this season and the way it's ended up is kind of unacceptable. And who you want to blame it on, it could go to a bunch of guys. But like George said earlier, also could uh, balance is important. Any team that lacks one key part of the field is going to suffer. Like we went into the season without a creative eight, without a creative ten. We didn't, without a also called target man or even a false nine, we had no one that offered any sort of bore attention or chance creation in the middle of the final third. And then what that did was force us to pass in U-shapes for like four or five months. And yeah, it doesn't matter how good the rest of the team is. If you're lacking one key component of the team, you're going to suffer the same way as Liverpool went from somewhat title challenges and then uh, losing all of their centre-backs and then falling apart and went on a, what, eight-game losing streak at Anfield or something. It's key. It's very, very key. But, yeah, uh, like George said, next season's expectations all depends on the summer transfer market and uh, we can't have a season this poor again because, frankly, it's unacceptable, man. It's Arsenal FC. I, I know it's kind of like, uh, ca I sound like a casual saying that, but what's it called We're a much bigger club than what we what we are at right now and we need to start working towards that innit? yeah so i agree with both mad and george that like this squad was pretty imbalanced before we were going to the season but we i can see where some people are coming from to like use this against Arteta, but that depends on what you really expected before going into the season. So, uh, were you expecting top four, top six, maybe even uh, all scored at some challenge, some something? But I don't know. Most people expected at least top six, so I, which I thought was quite ambitious, ambitious because of our squad. Yeah, pretty ambitious, yeah. Because our squad was pretty bad last season. And people are laying it down to an outlier because of Emery, et cetera, et cetera. We had no, no sources of creativity. We've replaced Kozola, Wilshire, Ramsey, 
and basically frozen out Ozil, and we left Arteta with Danny Ceballos for like the before December. So, and if you're gonna basically extirpate your whole creative nucleus and expect a challenge, then I I don't know what to tell you. And add to the fact to the failures we've uh, uh well we've had some referee decisions against us and some injury uh, problems against us like Partey, Tierney and uh, the pro and really I look at Arsenal this season as a team of two halves first half of the season we are a pretty solid bottom six side the second half of the season I'd say we're probably top four sides in the Premier League if you account for the referee decisions uh, the moments of errors against us etc etc but I think next season we should at least be looking at top six. If top six is top six again next season, at the minimum, if we don't get that, then Arteta's uh, critics are justified to saying, why did we give this guy time if he finished ninth last season or 10th or 11th, whatever, and he's barely making top six this season with all that money, with all that uh, surgery, et cetera, et cetera. He's just making more damage. But I, I really do look at Arsenal this season as just um, as a work in progress, adding new things, changing, removing everything from the past regimes and inserting and instilling a new culture, a new mentality, something to, we can build upon. And I think Arteta so far this season, he's done that with the transfer windows, with the integration of youth like Smith Rowe, Saka's progression this there's some good and there's some bad in the season so yeah that's what i think um yeah uh, obviously context is very important uh, in my opinion as you all said uh, when judging a uh, league campaign uh, uh, obviously we have uh, we, we in some positions especially we have some terrible depth and uh, you know party goes down and we're weak in midfield this time tyranny goes down and we we're basically playing our first choice DM at left back or our second choice right back. It's uh, it's squad. And uh, again, my whole point on this discourse is that uh, you can't really expect to go from a fringe top six side to a title challenger. You can't really do that. Uh, and, and an aging uh, top six side, it's not, uh, I'm referring to the late Wenger and Emery days, you know, that's what we was trying to do back then. You know, we, we, we were a French top six side and we added Aubameyang and Lacazette who were aging and for really no reason, you know, the wise that are going to be taking us to a title challenge. So my point is, you can't really expect that. You have to turn this thing down uh, if, you're gonna, if you want to rebuild and, uh, and uh, be a, a title challenger in the future. Uh, so again... By the time we didn't get a, a war in the, in, uh, in the winter, I did not really expect too many things from this season. And uh, obviously, I will say that uh, Arteta was pretty poor and during that losing round. I will admit, as the biggest Arteta fan out there, I will admit that he was pretty poor with some of his decisions. Like we saw against Sheffield, Saka number 10, and he was brilliant. And uh, I don't think anyone would tell you that he couldn't do that when we had no Smith-Rowe, no other guard. So... Obviously, there were some poor things, but again, uh, that's the way it works in sports. Sometimes you got to tear a team down in order to build a new one. You can't just keep adding uh, 
expensive pieces that are aging and uh, have big names and just expect that those guys will take you to to make you a, a contending side. And uh, also the other thing, in my opinion, is that, uh, that the one thing I have to show around the transfer market is that we've had a lot of players. It seems like we've had a lot of players that are excel at one or two things, but uh, not the kind of players that are, that are complete and well-rounded. So take one example of offers like Lacazette and Ketia. If you combine Lacazette and Ketia, you get a, you get a pretty good center forward, right? And uh, so I guess that's my point. You have to uh, to move on some guys like like I said in Kedia and for example bring in uh, center forward that does the things that both of these guys can do and you get a pretty good team that way. Obviously, we're going to talk later about recruitment plans if we're going to send center forward if not. But yeah, I think uh, the squad is too big, so we have to trim down and bring in uh, less players than we sell, in my opinion, but more complete, more viable, and that can do more things. So. Yeah, before we move on uh, to the transfer market, uh, let's just talk about youth development because uh, and the youth team because we there have been a couple of news, interesting news reports uh, the last week or so. So obviously, Balogun is signing a new contract, which is very, very exciting uh, for multiple reasons. George will go into that. And there have been also some rumblings about Kita Taylor Hart signing a new deal. Obviously, that's not concrete at all. Uh, pretty unreliable reports, but, you know, uh, usually when there's smoke, there's some fire later. So... Uh, again, George, uh, walk us through your thoughts about uh, some of the youth prospects at Arsenal. Uh, obviously, there are some other guys like Aziz and Saliba, obviously, who's your guy who haven't played that much yet or at all. So, yeah, talk us through that. Yeah, youth development is kind of a little passion of mine. I think it's uh, such a mixed bag. For um, for every Saka, you get an Akpom for or a Benikafobi. So in terms of trying to see who's going to translate their play, uh, from the academy to the men's football, you look for certain things, certain physical traits. Um, and really what excites me about Balogun in particular is his ability to pin back center backs and uh, take control of the ball, um, secure, turn, and drive into space. He's very intent on attacking um, the available space, but he can also mix it in if somebody wants to, to rough him up from behind, he can control the ball. Um, and that's a trait that translate quite well, any kind of half turn ability you look for in the EPL. So that's something that's, you know, in addition to his goal scoring records, you know, it's obviously great. His output is excellent, but when you're looking at trying to distinguish between him and Eddie, for example, while Eddie can press, I'm not uh, as convinced technically um, in terms of his first touch and particularly in contact. So uh, it's one of the things that excites me about Balogun. I think, um, Keto Taylor Hart, as I've mentioned on Twitter, is my favorite youngster with the highest potential, I believe, in Hale End. Um, this kid is going to be a star. He um, absolutely can explode like Saka. We're talking about a six-foot-plus winger who's ambipedal, can is world-class in and out on both wings, and really has the world at his feet. He, he drives with the ball. He's like Reese Nelson, uh, but with the running power of his Sar. He really is the prototype winger, if you could cook him in a lab and he wanted the perfect physicality and technical security, that is keto. Um, now, whether he realizes that, of course, is dependent on a ton of factors. Um, you know, I mentioned Reese for a good reason, where um, technically he was the standout in all of our academy lads. So when you look at maybe reasons for why it hasn't worked out, you can look at physical development. We can look at, you know, mental ability. Should he have gone out on loan? Question marks. But 
ultimately, when you're looking at kind of youth development, I think Arsenal has probably boasted one of the best U23 cores in world football. Um, if, if you look really at our team right now in terms of Saliba, Gabriel, Tierney, Saka, ESR, Martinelli, these are all key, key players across a spine that need a couple of additions. Uh, I'd like another center midfield anchor that's young, um, under 23. But if you go through that team, that's a very solid spine to work with. And I don't seem much better, um, to be honest with you. They all carry similar physical but technical traits, which bodes well for the future and kind of modern football as we look from transitioning defense to attack as quickly as possible and vice versa. Um, I think if I were to make a quick conclusion on it, we have a lot of exciting talent, um, some kind of unknown names. I know we've mentioned Aziz before, um, but uh, Surgen, um, you know, Zane Monlouis, who is a center back who's coming up is very exciting, only 17 years of age, um, excellent with the ball at his feet. We haven't produced a center back out of Hale End in I don't know how many years, uh, but we might have one here as well as Brooke Norton Cuffey, Henry Jeffcott, somebody I like. So there, there are tons, tons of names that are coming through. Um, and I really think it's going to be the biggest reason for um, our quick development and rebuild, really. It's going to save us millions. Um, and the big reason why these players I am confident in in translating and contributing to the first team is their physical qualities. I think that's what was lacking in a lot of our previous youth development. They had all the technical ability in the world, but you didn't see these physical specimens, these, these ability to run, win their 1v1 duels, engage in two-way transition. These were just things that were lacking in a lot of the youngsters. And so you can teach some of it, but ultimately, like we've seen with Shaka, there's a physical limitation to your position. And if you have that, unfortunately, there's a limit to what you can apply. So looking on from this, I, I think it's very exciting, particularly Keto Taylor Hart. I have a thread that I'm sure I can't wait to release uh, to go into more details, but um, he, he's a player I'm probably the most excited about uh, in the academy. Yeah, as a, as a person, like you go choose a fanatic about Arsenal's hero in the academy. Um, I'm really happy about what the work per Mertesacker and the previous work of Marcel Newcastle, mm -hmm. they've, what they've done to the academy. They've, they've literally revolutionised our academy. Aside from the technical, physical limitations of the player, you can see when they come into the first team, they've already got uh, the DNA, the, the way Arsenal should be playing, already instilled in them, regardless of how... They're, if they're not tall enough, not short, uh, they're, <clears throat> they're not fast enough, etc., etc. You can see one-touch football, pass, pass move. You can, like, it's lovely. Um, Balogun, I've been a big fan of this guy for a while because uh, since he broke out into the U23 team in 17-18, he's his physical. He looks bigger than his uh, what's called uh, most of his teammates. Uh, in the striker position, Eddie and Ketia, etc. Um, yeah, he can. What I like about Balogun is that he's a two-fitted one-v-one dribbler who can play on the left, who can play up top, and maybe even play, maybe I'm maybe on the right, and that's a quality that most centre forwards don't have. He has the technical security as well as <clears throat> the ability to drive past players with ease without falling onto the ground. 
and the <clears throat> with Kido Taylor Hart, there's reasons why big clubs like Bayern Munich and other German clubs like I think Hertha Berlin or something like that were interested in him. With pre to him even getting his what's called knee injury, and the club still offered him a pro contract whilst being injured. That's how you know they think very highly of Kido. And we've got other talents. Charlie Patino, he's been tired to be the next Foden or Shabby. Um, Aziz, Brooke, Nor <clears throat> Brooke Norton Cuffey, Zaymon Luis, Carl Hine. Um, I can't remember the keeper's name, it's quite long. Okawanku, I think. Like yep. Am I right? Okawanku, yeah. And, and then we've got some French youth players like Akinola. Um, Very uh, rough. Akinola, who else do we have? Yeah, he's quite old. Uh, Mahler is really he, good. And of so course, Willock. Tell that we're going to make. Yeah, Willock. Yeah, Willock's amazing. I love Willock. <laughs> yeah, uh, I and do as well. Then we've got the ones in the first team. Like, then we've got ones in the first team, like Saka, who's who's probably the biggest anomaly you can see in an academy player. He, he jumped. He's never been, like, touted before two years prior to his first team breakthrough he's never been touted as someone you'd say is oh he's going to the top etc etc there's Reese Nelson Trey Coyle and Xavier Amici they're all being touted ahead of him and he comes in and his work with him and Freddie Lundberg work together and they they produce the best um I'd say now the best English player youngster in the country he can play left wing Right wing, left centre mid, left wing back. That sort of versatility and football intelligence is very rare to come through within like one year of being in the first team. I've never seen a player like that. And I could say, as far to say, he's probably the best youngster we've had since Cesc Fabregas, without a doubt. Yeah, I mean, Saka in particular, uh, he, I don't, he gave me something that like no other Arsenal player has has given me a long time. Like, obviously, we've had Alexis Sanchez and Mesut Ozil and world-class players. But, like, Saka, the fact that he's only 19 and he comes from the academy and he's so good already is just uh, exciting. And uh, and Balogun also, I, ha I haven't watched him that much, to be fair. But, uh, again, uh, obviously, he was... Uh, Arsenal fans, they really like his post on Twitter when he... When Enketi was playing ahead of him and he was posting uh, his goals, and but he, but he just has that uh, type of confidence that I think it really it usually gets you go. It usually gets you places in football because uh, I don't know. He just watching him play, watching his personality, his talent. He just seems like one. I don't. He he one of the most exciting process we've had in year uh, in years and. Uh, I don't think I've ever been that excited for a youth prospect uh, to see him play in the first team. Like, obviously, Saka, uh, he came in and then developed. But, like, I don't think it's been a while since we've had a prospect who is so good with watching first team football. So, I'm extremely excited to see him play. I don't know when he's going to play, maybe end of this season once his contract is announced or maybe next season. But uh, yeah, touching about next season, uh, let's talk about uh, about recruitment a bit because uh, it's the hottest topic on Arsenal Twitter right now. Everyone, uh, uh, if you see, if you are in any Arsenal group chat or 
or Discord or anything, everyone's talking about transfers. About winger, striker, central midfielder, right back. So yeah, um, George, uh, what are your primary targets? You know, before we go into like uh, freeze or backups or anything, mm. if you were to sign like, let's just say four, maybe five players, you know, what would be your main guys, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think the first thing that we need to do for recruitment policy is recruit between the line ball carrying presence across the thirds of the pitch. So that, that's my big aim in any recruitment strategy at this point, because it's something that we lack fundamentally. So m- my biggest positions I've always said is um, a kind of creative left wing uh, pseudo 10 role, um, which Awar was one of my picks. Uh, I, I love him. I think he'd be excellent in the role. Um, I, I also really want a good center midfield anchor to release Partey, um, who again is a ball carrying between the line presence. And my big favorite for that position is Sumare. People might have um, seen that on Twitter. I know I'm one of the uh, the big proponents of him. And uh, finally, in the right back position, um, our, our next big need upgrading on Hector, who's been excellent servant for the club. But um, my big uh, choice for that is, uh, is Hakimi. Um, Again, the common thing between all three of these players is they are two-way, 1v1 um, specialists. They all are between the line, ball-carrying presences, big players that can compete in runs, both in an attacking, but also running back towards goal. It's a big thing that we need to recruit in the EPL. In terms of the fourth signing, uh, I honestly think those are the most urgent needs. I think we need a backup left back. So my, my choices have been a free homegrown signing just to help with feasibility. So your Ryan Bertrands or even your Patrick Van Arnholtz or Jordan Amavi, these are all free um, left backs that we could sign that have experience. Um, and then after that, I think my future wants have always been a goalkeeper and a striker, but I kind of leave that section towards uh, summer 2022. I look at this summer, let's fix our glaring holes in the starting 11, and then we can use summer 22 to address squad depth. Yeah, for yeah. me, pers- for me personally, also, could there's I think three four main positions that we need to look at covering. Uh, the first one being, uh, we need to decide what's more important. Do we need should we go for a more creative type left winger to in the case that Martinelli is a future nine, or do we go for a more complete uh, striker where Martinelli is more of an inside forward uh, left winger. For me, I think Martinelli's ceiling is highest as a left winger playing someone is playing a bit like Herman Song. So, but the problem with that is that the centre forward market is very, very, very limited at the moment. Uh, the the options that we could get either have the problems of either being very, very raw or just having uh, also called they might not translate well into a different change of system. So, guys like uh, the two guys I always bang out, bang on about is Alex Isak. I think he's top top quality. He has all the attributes that you want in a nine. But my main problem with him is that he seems a bit physically frail. I feel like it's a bit of a risk uh, investing so much money into a player that might not that might take a few uh, quite a while to adjust physically to the Premier League. And another guy that I also bang on about a lot is Patrick Bamford. But my problem with him is that his age profile. So we might only get 
two or three good years out of him, which might, which could be a good thing and a bad thing depending on what you really want. I think we've had we've made a lot of mistakes in the past of buying uh, older strikers and then not being able to build a system around them quick enough so that it becomes essentially a waste. But yeah, uh, so for me, I'd rather have a striker than a winger, but I just have a few reservations about what we could buy as a striker. And uh, the second most important position for me is probably either the attacker midfield or a right back. The thing is with the attacker midfield, you have a lot of options that you could choose from. Guys like uh, we could re-sign Odegaard, which I'm not 100% a fan of, but I wouldn't be a, a thing uh, against it, opposed to it if it was to happen. But there's other options as well, like Michael Olise from Reading, who's a bit more versatile and also a bit more aggressive as well. And a lot cheaper and homegrown. So, but also could he... Uh, there's people that might have the reservation of signing the champion championship midfielder into a position that we have like that's essentially one of our biggest needs. But those are my two options. And then for right back, I remember we had a podcast last week with the inter journalist who told us Hakimi may be a bit unattainable because he's a, a bit too valuable. Yeah, yeah, to yeah. That they might not be ready to let go of him, which. It's a bit of a kick in the teeth, but essentially there's still other right backs that we could go for. We could go for Tariq Lamptey, or we could go for Masrawi, who are capable, who are both capable of playing on the outside and inside. Basically, uh, versatile young fullbacks are, are, I think, very, very good. Really, but yeah, that's me. Uh, yeah, so uh, all that sounds good uh, in terms of right back. I agree. Hakimi Lamptey main choices. Uh, Masrawi from Ajax, I think, is another cheaper option. I would suggest. Then the, I I really agree with George's vision about a uh, Sumare and then uh, a uh, then an award type player on the left. You know, obviously Grealish is the dream for me there, but I uh, I think unless we get Champions League, I think we can roll out this move ever happening. And, uh, and another option, uh, cheaper maybe, could be Julian Brandt from Dortmund. We were linked in the in the in the January window. Uh, but I, I think actually, you know, uh, I'm not sure I really want to serve forward. I think we will be okay with Aubameyang, uh, Martinelli, and Balogun for now. Uh, I think we should focus uh, on bringing two playmakers actually. One that would play on the left wing, sort of the role that uh, Smith Rowe and William have played. And then uh, one who will play in the like traditional number ten role, but he will be more of a right side of playmaker, like we have seen Odegaard do that a lot, playing in the right half space and combining with uh, the right winger and the right side of back. Um, so uh, obviously Odegaard, it's been reported that he's going to be the main uh, option there. I wouldn't be too opposed to uh, another loan if we can, uh, if we don't have the money to do anything better there, but. Uh, I've not been too impressed with him, to be honest. I agree with Mo- with Moad. Uh, he he's certainly a good player and he's very helpful in the build up, but uh, he doesn't. He, I I think you know if you consider the fact that he's been playing professional football since he's been fifteen, I, you know with players like that in sports, you, you usually don't see too much progression post uh, 23, 24, 25. and he's twenty three, isn't he? Something like that. Twenty three. Mm-hmm. Twenty three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Uh, he's a good player, but I, I just like to see a few more things from him. Being a bigger goal threat, getting 
uh, more key passes. Uh, physically, I'd like to see him improve. He's going to cost a lot. He plays in a huge club. Uh, he probably wants to make it at Madrid as well. So I, I really don't, uh, he's not my primary option is what I would say. Uh, for the right side playmaker, which could be someone that could play in the right wing as well, if you reverse the system and go with a playmaker on the right and a 10 and then a, a le- and a, an outlet on the left, like uh, Martinez or Bamiyan, you could, I think you, you have to go for a player that covers these two positions. Uh, Moad uh, mentioned Michael Lees, who is a brilliant player. Rami loves him as well, but told me and then uh, he has a ton of upside and then another guy who's been linked with uh, a bunch is uh, Eddie Buendia from Norwich uh, another championship player but I think another very good option he's right footed as opposed to Odegaard and Orleans but uh, has a, I think he really fits in that right half space, especially when he's playing next to a left footer like uh, Saka or uh, Pepe, and uh, he his creative chart, his creative stats are off the chart. And this year he's had a goal. He's only 24. He's a very very well-rounded uh, playmaker, and uh, he would actually be uh, ahead uh, of Orgard in my list. So, yeah, uh, I think. I think another hot topic of discussion that we should talk about is Bernd Lano. Uh, George, you, you talked about uh, getting a new keeper in potentially in 2022, mm-hmm. but uh, Lano has been quite disappointing the, the past few weeks and uh, the debate has really been heating up. And uh, I think it's mostly because of Amy Martinez. Uh, I think if Lano was all along the first choice, everyone would be, I think, I don't think many people would be as frustrated with him because the fact that we had Emmy Martinez right there and we sold him for pennies to a, to a team that is competing for the same spots as us. Uh, yeah, I think it's, it hurts a lot of Arsenal fans about it. And personally, it does. I, it does for me too. I really preferred Emmy to, to Leno. So, yeah, uh, George, what's your, what are your thoughts on that? And do you have any uh, targets to recommend for the goalkeeping position? goalkeeping is the one uh, position that uh, I don't have a big Rolodex for <laughs> oddly um, yeah on the two I definitely preferred Martinez he was um, a much more complete profile particularly in how we play really you know with Bert he there's no question that he's on the verge of a world-class shot stopper um, I think it's a little hyperbole there but he's absolutely an excellent shot stopper but when you have a non-negotiable philosophy to build up to create wider overloads before you spring on the wings into 1v1. It places a large emphasis on the first phase. And just no matter how you slice it, Burnt is not comfortable in the first phase. In fact, I I would argue much of our recent downturn in the last three games has been uh, Burnt either uh, getting scared and going long and taking out that first phase, which reduces our structure. And I think that's a lot of what the uh, critique really in that LACA interview where he said that we didn't listen to the plan. I don't think it was so much, you know, Mikel's plan. It was them abandoning their first phase. And so this was one of their our non-negotiables that we've set out from the beginning. And so when you look at a keeper that we want to maybe see in that position, it, it's a very key component. And so it might be a project signing. 
Um, I personally like a presence in the back there. I, I like somebody um, like Emmy who was uh, able to claim crosses quite authoritatively, um, who wasn't maybe the greatest with his uh, the ball at his feet, but he was quick, direct, and got it into the center backs um, quickly. Um, and I think that's a big issue for us, really, when we look at our progression. All the times that we've struggled, it's been because there's been slow, um, inaccurate passes. And what you really need is somebody there that can take hold of the ball and get it out to the center backs or to the wings quickly so that we can advance in our three. Um, who, names for that? It's tough. I think it's going to be a project signing no matter what you do. Everybody's going to have cons. You know, I like David Rea from Brentford or... Uh, Meslier um, from Leeds because they have that competency with the ball at their feet but they're also short they don't have that presence in the back so that I would like so goalkeeper is definitely um, something that we, we uh, need to George, look at again George mm -hmm. uh, Meslier is six foot six I think well I don't think he has the presence like yeah, I know he has the height it's about claiming crosses and yeah. uh, being a thor like I think that's a weakness of his in his game and so it, it's not that he can't ever fulfill it I mean he's got the height you like you said he is tall and I think David Rea is small to be fair but it's more about the presence of claiming those crosses and set pieces that instills confidence you know um, but they have that key component of playing with the ball at our feet which for us in a possession dominant side and looking forward that's going to always outweigh the, um, the physical wants that you might need in the EPL because of how we play. We're never going to not be, be a, a first phase team. So that, that's where you need to recruit to a profile for me and uh, accept some of the weaknesses and try to see if you can um, tease them out. So Meslier would be a project signing for me as well as maybe Albin Lafont, who maybe some people might not know. Um, He's a really great keeper that also is great with the ball at his feet. Large, but again, sometimes a little bit weak on the crosses. Um, but again, they're both young keepers, Meslier and uh, Lafont. Um, so there's no reason to say that they can't grow into their frame um, as you project. Yeah, since Arteta's, not since Arteta's comment, since Leno's joined the club, I've never really warmed him. I, I didn't, I was a, against the signing. 22 million pounds for a keeper who, I'm not joking, was no better than Karius in the Bundesliga. Was a bit underwhelming, but still, I, I thought he'd improve. He did improve under Emery and Arteta. He did improve from his Bundesliga forms. Uh, but as soon as Arteta came in and the shots on target against us started to decrease, you could see Leno's influence was slowly becoming less important. Him being in goal was hardly noticeable. So we moved to the side of the pitch where we're building up in the first phase. And you can see the difference between Leno and Emmy Martinez. The players are much more comfortable, <clears throat> comfortable with Emmy. He communicates better with the other players. Leno's brother, I, I don't really want to call him a coward because I don't know him personally, but he seems like a coward. Where in against West Ham, we the, I don't think the players were trying to play long ball, winning the second balls because that's West Ham's bread and butter. I, but Leno, he was too scared to play from the back and uh, and build up, and he kept to go for second balls, second balls. So for the uh, for, uh, for the first 25, 30 minutes, West Ham were winning every second ball and getting first of the ball because of Leno's poor kicking. 
if you're not a good kicker, you shouldn't be doing long balls. And if you're not confident enough to play from the back, you should improve in your kicking. It's, it's one or the other. And as George said, finding a goalkeeper is pretty hard because of the age. And it's not really a position where you can see a player um, suddenly coming in and being the right fit for the team. So I have a few names in mind, like Sevilla's Bono and Lil's Mike Mangan. And I'm a big fan of Meslier, but he's 21 years old, which is baby years for a goalkeeper. And I'm pretty sure our, our fans would slaughter him if he made any form of error. Either of the three would be fine. But as of now, is Leno really a big priority to like improve on? Not really. We have other areas addressing the right back, backup left back, uh, experienced centre back if Louise leaves. And the whole front line needs to be shipped out, in my opinion. So Leno being, Leno, Leno like, like Nick said, Leno being uh, hated on and getting criticised a lot more this season is more to the fact we sold a superior keeper in Martinez. And that's put, that puts more pressure on the team and Arteta for making the wrong decision. If I could, I'd buy Martinez back for 40 million max. But that's what I think on Leno. Yeah, mate, you know what, really, really quickly, you know, the interesting thing about Leno is I think he exemplifies everything um, that we need to change from in the squad. What, what I mean by that is, is he a good player? Yes. Is he going to make you win titles? No. And in, in order to do that, you're going to be looking for a different profile. It doesn't mean somebody's shit or somebody is world-class. At the end of the day, when you look at his profile and what we need, we all agree, I think, that he needs to be uh, moved on from if we want to go to the title land. But in terms of him being an overall player, he's just good. He's average, but there's a limitation to it. Much like this squad, there's so many players that are okay, but they have severe limitations. Uh, the thing is, yeah, if you guys have been paying attention to my Twitter, but I've I've been saying the last few games that we've conceded goals and and not just the goals that we've conceded, we've not been able to control games and whatnot because of uh, Leno directly. Like things like his re refusal to play out the back sometimes, his wonky passing, the fact that he's still very questionable on crosses. He has this one thing that I don't think a lot of people have picked up on, but a lot of the time when he gets a hand to a shot, his wrist just gives away and it still goes in regardless. And it's one of those things where people might not see it as important, but is is one of the basic fundamentals in the keeper, isn't it? Just being able to have a strong wrist. And I think the faster we move on from him, the better, because he's costing us at the moment and he will continue to cost us. And until we can keep trying to postpone it until it comes to like an important game or something and we end up losing or something because that is something that he directly ended up causing. But as for targets, uh, there's a few guys I don't, uh, that I'm not 100% sure and I still need to watch more of. Uh, there's guys like uh, Robert Sanchez from Brighton from the few games that I've watched him in. He's looked very, very good, very commanding. He, uh, his short passing, I'm still... There's a question mark on that because I've noticed Brighton don't play out the uh, back too much. 
they often try kick it long. And his his uh, thing, long distance passing, is all right. It's possible. But I still need to watch more of him before I can put a proper verdict. Same thing goes for Bono. I've heard a few good things about him. And in the couple games I've watched Sevilla this season, he's looked pretty good. And my wild card one, one that would be pretty cheap, is Livakovic from Zagreb. I watched a couple games of him in the Champions League and two legs against Spurs, and he looked like a very, very good keeper. Uh, that, but then again, that was mainly for shot stopping and uh, claiming crosses. If things like passing and long distance passing, I'm not, I haven't seen enough of to make a good enough judgment. But those three guys are guys that I've been. Uh, been able to uh, that guys that uh, would be good enough suggestions that we could look at, and they wouldn't be too expensive either. So yeah, yeah, I agree with pretty much everything you guys said, and uh, uh, I would say just to add to the to this, uh, I would say that Robert Sanchez is uh, also my preferred target. Uh, I love the guy, and uh, uh, you know he's he's six six. He's uh, he has massive presence, unlike Melia and Leno. And uh, even if his short passing is not amazing, he, when when Brian don't play out of the back, he has a uh, he's I love his range in his kicks. You know that's a big problem with Leno. You know I get that sometimes he's not confident to play short uh, for a crowd of pressure, but like even when he goes long, it's terrible. It it never reaches the target. So yeah, and uh, just uh, one final thing before we wrap up. Uh, I really want to ask this. Do you guys uh, think we are actually, in a few words, do you guys think uh, we have a chance to win the Europa? Uh, if you, if you, if someone held a gun to your head and said, do you think we'll win it? What would you say? George, go first. <laughs> um, I would feel a lot more confident with Louise and Tierney. I have always said, no, I, I am confident of us winning the Europa League for sure. Because uh, if we look at our starting 11, it's actually quite decent. It's not something that, you know, I, we need to improve, but we have the qualities that in a one-off game, we can beat anybody. That's, that's not the problem. But I think what anybody would say is we have two opponents every time it's Arsenal and then the other guys. So in terms of being, um, you know, giving an answer, not sitting on the fence. No, I think we have a, a big chance of winning the Europa League. I'm also quite confident in terms of Tierney and Louise coming back for a potential final, just on the timeline and scale of injuries. Um, it, it seemed like Tierney was a grade two. So you're looking at around four to six weeks from the injury point. So that, that would place us outside in terms of the final. And Louise was only about four weeks from his um, meniscus surgery. So I think, on a medical timeline stance, they have a chance of being involved. And if those two are in and we're with our starting 11, I become extremely confident on us being able to do something. If those two are out, it becomes a one-off game and anything can go. Um, I do think though that um, Thomas Partey, um, Odegaard and the extra technical um, security that we've got since January will allow us to sustain enough attacking patterns that makes um, any of the teams left in Europe, and I include United in that, they you have to worry about scoring on us, by the way. I know that they're great, but you know, factually, we've just outclassed them in every performance that we face them. So this this team should be winning Europa with who's left. Make no mistake about it. We can make all the excuses and want to kind of save ourselves from uh, having pie on our face, but factually, we should absolutely be winning the Europa League. Um, I don't think we're going to win the Europa League, but on paper, it, we should be winning. But the lack of left foot, a left back, 
the issues at centre back and the question marks in the front line is a bit too much. And as Mlad said earlier, it depends on how the first 10, 15 minutes goes against Slavia because that's, in my eyes, that's what dictates how our Europa League campaign is going to finish. And we've got other opponents to face, like Unai Emery, an old face, who's never, ever lost uh, a European, uh, Europa League two-legged knockout tie, which is something amazing, considering how many times he's been in the competition. Then we've got United, possibly Ajax or Roma, which I'm not... I'm, I think we have the better side of the draw, but we've been hit with some bad luck ourselves. Where it comes to the point is, like, the team from back to front has to be at its best and no individual errors which you've been doing throughout the whole campaign so to put it simple i'd say no we're not winning europe League. uh me what i think is uh should we win the europe league we should and we definitely have the ability to win the europe league but for me i don't think we will because uh also could I was very confident that we could beat literally every single team left in the tournament up until we we heard the news of not having Kieran Tierney and Dave Luiz. Those two guys are so important because as soon as we lose them, the replacement we have is like three, four levels uh, that gets dropped off. And yeah, aside from those two, again, is is the mental blocking that I've been telling you guys about earlier. It's one of the things that you can't really measure, but it's something that you definitely can see with the team where, what's it called? As soon as there's something on the line, the whole team starts second-guessing itself. They start making silly errors, uh, overthinking on the ball, uh, making the wrong decisions in the th- final third, all of that stuff. And when you add that to having two leaders in your back four gone, like guaranteed to be gone until probably the semi-final or final, that's a massive, massive, massive blow. And the team leaders we have left in the squad are guys I don't think are serious enough to pull us out of any troubles that we might face. So it's looking really bleak for me. I, I don't, I think we 100% are able to win Europe League, but I don't think we will just because of all of those different things. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm not gonna say anything too different from that. Um, I hate, you know, I always, uh, I'm always positive, but uh, I think the Tierney and Louise injuries, uh, they really, uh, they really made me question. They really make me question if we will do it. Uh, you know, it's not just about them being really good players; it's the replacements which are like uh, shocking compared to them. And uh, uh, again, I think, I think we can definitely do it. And uh, but uh, if I had to bet right now, I would say no. But uh, you know, let's say Tierney and Luis are back for the final. If we get there, let's say Oba, uh, Obama Young starts starts firing finally. We've been waiting for a while. I think uh, we can definitely do it. But like, I'm I'm on the fence. But I'm I'm saying no. But we can definitely do it uh, if we're lucky with the injuries. And uh, yeah, so that's that. We've been going for a. Uh, I think 70 minutes, it's been quite a lot. And, uh, but it's been a brilliant discussion, obviously. So thanks a lot for uh, Ami, Moad and George for coming on. And uh, yeah, so we have been the Football Idealist podcast. Uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter at Football Idealist. There's a lot more content coming out in the next few weeks. 
uh, articles and podcasts mainly. So make sure to tune in for that. And uh, thanks a lot, guys. Bye.